VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome to the game with me, Gab Marcotti. This week, is Torres back? Have Tottenham burned out? Is there anything DeCanio can do to save Sunderland? And will Everton make the top four? And in our debate this week, we're going to go somewhat beyond the scepter dial and include the Bundesliga, where they all speak English anyway. Now, to help me with all these points, I have Rory K. Smith, Julian Lawrence, you know him as the handsome man from Le Parisienne, and of course, from beautiful downtown Rippenden, in fact, his conservatory, I believe, it's Ollie K. Well, let's start in North London, White Hart Lane. Ollie, I'm going to start with you with that horrible, horrible, horrible stat. Spurs haven't won a game since January 1st uh, unless Gareth Bale has scored, and it's difficult even for somebody as talented as Bale to score if he doesn't play. Yeah, well, they um, they missed him. They missed him certainly on uh, on Sunday. Um, I think any team would would miss their best player. Um, I, th- I think that's fair to say. But I, I think Spurs without Bale are a completely different and completely weaker um, proposition. Funny enough, they did start extremely well with a goal that came from the left hand side. But um, I thought that the the all round threat that they have when Bale was there, um, you know, it just wasn't there. And I, I I felt in the end that they were slightly lucky to get that late late equaliser I mean I, I thought watching it that uh, Everton perhaps seemed more likely to, to score the fourth goal of the afternoon on, on the break so I, I think Spurs will end up thinking that they perhaps got away with it there because you know, they've, they've, they've kept Everton at arm's length um, and, and not lost too much ground on um, Arsenal and Chelsea Julian, is um, is Ollie right, or is he proving once again his northern blue nose uh, bias? Everton played 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 a much better game, in my opinion, tactically, collectively as well. I, I think Spurs defensively were very, very poor yesterday. Again, it's not the first time against Basel they conceded so many chances, and they were lucky to concede, you know. Only two, only two goals, but and again, you know, it was two goals. It could have been three or four, I think, uh, on, on Sunday against Everton, if uh, if Anichebe and, and Jelavik and, and Miralas had been a bit, you know, more precise. And I think when you defend like that, you really, you really have to um, to, um, to to question yourself because you know, there's not many games left, and and they can't afford, I think, to uh, to, to keep con- defending like that. Right. Um, I want to talk about the Spurs defense for, for a minute because uh, the the line I was fed is, well, he's got 
five defenders. One of them, Yunus Kabul, is injured, and that's the guy he probably thinks is best out of all of them, and you play him all the time. Uh, the problem with the other ones is they've all got something slightly wrong with them. William Gallus is, is old. Um, Stephen Calker's too young, and Michael Dawson's too clunky, and Jan Vertonghen's not perhaps quite as athletic as people think he should be. Um, now, this is this is my opinion. This is the opinion that was giving, and so he mixes and matches based on the opponent. Um, is that a is it, is that kind of like a, a fair excuse for Spurs to give, or? Is it kind of like maybe you should just pick two and stick with them? No, I, I think it makes sense of Villas-Boas. He's got, as you said, I mean, I, I think you kind of have to discount Gallas, who I think we can now accept is is beyond salvation. Um, but if you could go back in time, he's so much better than all those guys. But yeah, no, a, a top-class Gallas is 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 better than all of those. Although I've got to say, I think Jan Vertonghen's been one of the best players in the Premier League this season. I think Vertonghen is absolutely superb. I'd always have him, and I personally think him and Colker kind of have everything you need as a central defensive partnership. Colker on the ball. Well, no, Vertonghen's... I think the problem with Coulter is that he's young, so he will make mistakes, and you can't really afford to do that in a race for fourth. Vertonghen's the, the ball player, Coulter's the athleticism. That's, that, that, that's quite a nice balance, I think. But Villas-Boas does have this policy of against, against sort of big, muscular strikers, such as Victor Nietzscheby, he'll play Michael Dawson, who, who copes better with the physical side of things. And that makes sense. I suppose that a natural consequence of that is perhaps that the communication between the pairs isn't quite as good as it might be. But that's not an excuse, necessarily, for conceding goals. So what is the excuse? Sandro being out? Well, I think... In, in, is, that, in, is that a yeah, San, Sandro's a big, Sandro's a big loss. But in, I think, to be perfectly honest, and there's this kind of habit that we have of, of always looking to blame someone for everything but I think the, the point is with yesterday was that I mean Ever- it takes a lot to beat Everton Everton do not lose games unless the opponents play really well and that's an enormous compliment to Everton Everton are a good team there's no, there's no desperate it's not a terrible result to draw at home to them in the context it's not enough but Everton are, they're extraordinarily difficult to beat Ollie, are we, go, so are we going about this all wrong should we just be celebrating Moisey once again um, rather than Pointing out Spurs' flaws and, and say that you know Everton maybe deserved to, to win that game, as you said. Um, I, I, well, I, I still think it's open to debate, and I think we've debated it, and, and we've we've probably come to the conclusion that Everton did very well and, and played in a certain way and, and in a game plan that worked really well. I, I would I would single out if I could um, Anichibi not just for his his performance yesterday, but, but the complete transformation um, in a guy who previously seemed to have kind of the raw materials but not the work rate not the attitude and it's just I, I, I thought looking at him yesterday at times and, and looking at, at times over the past few months against Manchester City for example um, he just looks like a, a, a fantastic player and that is a tribute to Moyes I know people turn around if, if Moyes leaves Everton in, in, at the end of the season or, or if he doesn't people will say well you know, he's never won a trophy but you look at the improvement in players like Anichibi and, and, and in Baines and, and the, the recruitment I, I think Everton are a fantastic example and I, I know there will be lots of wailing amongst Everton fans if they if they narrowly miss out on fourth and, and if they think well if we'd had another five million, we'd be able to get a top four place. And you know, I, I can understand some of the frustrations, but I, I think there is so much that's admirable about what Everton do and the way they do it, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, Jim, I'm going to ask you specifically about uh, an Everton player who's been in this country for a long time, has played for several clubs. Um, I don't know if he's. I don't actually know if he's ever played for for France, um, but. 
I think he really has a shocker, and and I think he he's aging gracefully, making himself more and more useful to the people around him, and, that, and that's Distan. Um, what's your take? And is some of it down to Moyes? I mean, I'm assuming you're, you're in touch with him, and um, and I'm just thinking back to the fact that France very cleverly only took three central defenders to the Euros, one of them being Philippe Mixes. <laughs> yeah, he's an unsung hero. It's funny; it's probably more. Does he have any French caps? No. You've got as many as you do. Yeah, exactly. How's he seen in France? What, what's the view of him That's in France? That's the thing. He's probably better known here than in France. Because he's he just some guy who left career. early and like... Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, he, he, he with the PSG Academy, then they released him because they, they thought he was not good enough at a young age. And then went to um, to the small club in, in Guignot and then won the League Cup against PSG, which was the irony, obviously, of his of his career. And then went to England. So he's probably better known here than, and then in France. I just think he's, he's a fantastic guy. For me, we know him a bit. And and you know he's had tough moment. If if you think about the FA Cup last season, for example, where his back pass, it was last season, wasn't it? Yeah. For, for a player like him, it's hard to take because he loves Everton so much. He would give anything to win a trophy with them, for example. And that back pass hurt him so badly. It was just it was just terrible to to see him after the game and with the burden of that mistake on him and that defeat and everything. But I just think. Moe's made it the player he is now more than anyone else and, and, and I think him and Jagielka are probably the best pair of centre-halves in, in the league in my opinion Ooh, I set that a marker I gotta get Smith and Kay on this one Rory, who do you take ahead of those two? I, I suppose you are allowed to say the virtual play, pairing of Vidic and Ferdinand but yeah, no, who plays regularly mm, yeah, may, or maybe wouldn't. I mean, I think Jadielka and, and Distan complement each other perfectly. Maybe company in Nastasic. That's a good pairing. Uh, Julian has, has it sailed in a Gallic way. It would be maybe in a, in a couple of years something. Nastasic is still a bit unproven, in my opinion. To yeah, to possibly. Be. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think I think Distan, Distan's one of those. They're great stories, aren't they? Those the foreigners who come over really early, and they just become kind of. Institutions like I can't really remember a Premier League without Sylvan Distan. He's yeah. been playing since 1983, and he was. He was <laughs> to be fair, he was good for Portsmouth as well. He was a good player for, for Redknapp at Portsmouth, and and I, I, good for City. Yeah, he was good for City. He, he, yeah. of, you know, he, he was one of those sort of big money buys when when City didn't realise they couldn't afford it. He has been one of the better central defenders in the Premier League for, for the past decade the two the two fatal flaws of David Moyes' time at Everton have been his inability fatal means deadly by the way well a fatal flaw is a phrase Everton are alive yeah. and well but the fatal flaw is a phrase it's major stop, flaws and not stop. talk about being so morbid talking about death all stop the time stop being a pedant right we one, are talking about the Bundesliga later so one, appropriate one is his inability to work out how to play in European away games Moyes is really bad at that and that I think is one of the, is probably the thing that will stop him getting a major job if and when he decides to leave Everton is that he doesn't seem to know how to play away from home in Europe the second is his transfer record but if you look at people like Distan and particularly Kevin Marias who's been magnificent since coming in it's a shame he can't play 90 minutes but Marias is is incredibly direct I saw them against Stoke last week when he scored that goal when he ran for 70 yards and he scored an, an even better one against Spurs it looks to me like Moyes who's always been very kind of an, an olial back me up on this I would hope Moyes is very no is Moyes is very uncertain in the transfer market because there's not much money he sort of dallies around and thinking oh maybe I should sign him maybe I shouldn't he, if you speak to his scouts they, he kind of goes up and down if he wants to sign someone on a Monday he'll have decided they're useless by Wednesday he's, he's <laughs> so kind of true. he's very kind of 
nervy in the transfer market but you look at some of the successes he's had recently yeah, exactly. and he's getting a lot better and Mar- that's summed up by Marias um, yeah, I want to throw in one, one of my favourite uh, signings, which I think they got from some small team in Ireland, is Seamus Coleman. Brilliant. Yeah. Who I think has been slowed down in many ways, but I just think he's a very he's a very modern player who might even benefit at a different club or, or with a different system. But um, He's a win-back, isn't he, Coleman? He's a 3 5 player. I rarely say, see, him, see him play badly. You know? What's interesting about Miralas is obviously he went through the, you know, the Lille Academy in France, played in France, where he had a problem no, with his attitude. It's all to do with France. Yeah, because, <laughs> and that's my point, he, he had a problem with his attitude because the game in France has too much discipline in it. And he, he can't do discipline. That's why maybe he can't play 90 minutes. But also Cantona that's why didn't do discipline very well in France either. <laughs> but but in, in, in the Premier League, there's much less discipline, obviously. You know, I, I, I can imagine Moyes saying to him, just, just do what you're good at, just run with the ball. Clearly, yesterday, uh, Sunday, I suppose, he didn't really trail back or didn't really help. I mean, he started on the left-hand side. He didn't really help Baines at all whatsoever. You know, so he clearly is just there to do a bit what he wants, and he does it really well. And, and that's, that's the big difference, and that's why he's so good, because... Before the start of the season, when he signed at Everton, if you had said to a French, you know, someone like a Lille fan, or oh, Mirez signed for Everton, he would have said, he's useless. Yeah, he's going to score a few goals, but, you know, he can't play well over the whole season. And clearly he showed that he's at that level now. And, and, and in my opinion, it's because of the difference between the two leagues. Now, they, uh, I think Fico Stein gave Everton a 5% chance of making the Champions League. Um, he gave Liverpool a 2% chance for those keeping uh, score at home. Uh, whereas I think Spurs he had at 58%. As you know, this is all very um, scientific. But um, I'd rather hear Julian's opinion. I, either one of these two teams have a have a shot at top four? No. Neither. You think Spurs are done? Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought you meant Liverpool and Everton. No, uh, <laughs> no. Spurs. <laughs> um, I think, I think I'm probably, I'm, I'm really rubbish in, in prediction and stuff. I think, I think Spurs and Arsenal will finish in the top four and uh, Chelsea will miss out. Um, I know it's a sad, but I, th- I think they, they, they will see qualifying in, in the Europa League. I think it will cost them a lot of energy. I think they, they were really lucky on Sunday and, and, and I don't think they really play well in, in the Premier League, to be fair. You're talking about Chelsea? Yeah. All right, we'll be, we'll be getting them in a moment. So, Sorry, so, you, yeah, so, so, so you reckon Spurs, yes, Everton, no? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Everton, I would love to get in the Champions League, but no, I think they're too far off. I think Spurs will pip Arsenal and qualify with Chelsea. Oh, you're getting back at Julia. This is really funny. This is so cute. Ollie, once again, of course, you're the voice of wisdom and sanity. Uh, please sort them out. Uh, right. I, well, I, I was tempted to just say whatever would be different. But um, I, I think... Um, well, different than in that case, you're <laughs> saying Chelsea and Arsenal. Yeah. I think... Um, I think it depends how... No, you just want you just want team names, don't you? I'll, I'll just say Chelsea and Arsenal and, um, and, and move on. So no shot for Everton? Um, no, I, I don't think Everton will, will, will quite make it. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they have no chance, but I, but I, I just you know, they, they've got more points to make up, and and it's and it's hard hard to do that at this stage of the season. Right, uh, let's move on now to Stamford Bridge, where um, Chelsea got uh, a win, which leaves them nicely on track, I think, to uh, finish top four. But, of course, they got the win against Sunderland, who had a new manager. Uh, Julian, let's start with you, since you thought Rafa Benitez was lucky. Was that because Sunderland were good or because Chelsea were bad? First of all, and I'm sure Rory K. Smith will back me up on that, Paolo Di Canu probably listened to the podcast. Please, never again that jumper. 
never again that jumper. This for a first game in, in the t- no, it was impossible. And you Italian as well, Paolo. You cannot wear clothes like that when you're Italian as well. You didn't like the uh, you didn't like the jumper. Oh no, man, that purple is uh, I don't know. It's not squares. Did you notice like, he wore the red tie to show off his yeah, communist yeah. leanings? Yeah, <laughs> but no, the jumper, Paolo. Please, never again. Although, of course, purple purple was the the color of the Roman Senate. Is that is that a, another nod <laughs> towards Gav? Say something towards his his disgust in <laughs> political leaning since denied. Purple is also um, the color of the bishops in the Catholic Church. Could be, yeah. You know, the Pope, and therefore God lives in Italy. So, um, (laughs) you know, uh, you can read this many, many different ways. He's also a fan of the band Deep Purple as well. Yeah, okay. And Prince's song Purple Rain. No, he doesn't like Prince. No, no, he doesn't like Prince, good. To be honest, that's another another black market against him. Why? He can't not like Prince. Really? Yeah, it's Prince. I don't think Prince. Julian? Prince? Or as, as they call him in France, Prince? Prince? No, no Prince. Ali, hey, can, can you steer us back to football, please? <laughs> I, I was going to. I, I was just about to, to um, take issue with Rory's like of Prince. I, I, he doesn't strike me as a classic Prince fan, Rory. I'm not, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm not. I'm not like a super fan, but it's Prince. He does. A, he warrants respect. He likes Spandau Ballet. That's I do like Spandau band. Ballet. Yeah. All right, there you and go. The Depeche so Mode. Then, yeah. Therefore, you are just like Decanio because those are two of his favorite bands. What Spandau Ballet and Depeche Mode? Yes. Is that right? Yes. In oh, fact, there you go. his big thing was he won an award like when he was a player, and they got the guy from uh, Spandau Ballet to, uh, uh, to, to to give him the award. And he was so happy, and he started dancing around the stage and things like that. He became like a little kid again. So there. That's the effect that Tony Hadley has, has on all of us, isn't it? Well, clearly, clearly. Right. Rory has far too much in common with Paolo, so I'll go back to usual. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was a bit of both. I think Sunderland were really good, especially in the first half. I think physically, uh, they clearly faded in the second half, dropped much, much deeper, and then it, it made, made, made it difficult for themselves, to be fair. But I thought they really prevented you know, Chelsea from, from, from playing. I thought they were well organised. I, I was a bit sceptical tactically, you know, about Di Canio before that first game, thinking, well, if he only works with the motivation of the players, it might not be good enough. But I thought he got them really well organised yesterday, and and I was really disappointed by Chelsea because of the way Sunderland plays. And I think if Sessegnon had been just a bit more clever in the first half, they would have gone one 0 up much earlier, because if he had crossed the ball to Conor Wickham, I think that would have been a goal quite early on. And and, and I think. Um, I was I was really nicely surprised by by the way Di Canio you know played played this team yesterday. Uh, Rory Matt Hughes was somewhat less impressed in uh, in in the Times today. Uh, what did you make of it? And uh, also the, the decision to um, to drop Danny Graham for for Connor Wickham. Yeah, I was going to say that that's quite a, that's a big call. It's it's kind of cutting to Graham's self confidence. But then Con, I mean Connor Wickham is. He has all the attributes physically to to play that sort of lone striker role very well, and it's always been a bit of a mystery. He was good at, he was really good at Ipswich, and he, he was you know there was a time not so long ago when Connor Wickham was kind of the great white hope for for English forwards, and that, it's strange that he's never really been given a chance. Did, did somebody want to make a suggestion about why O'Neill didn't play him and felt the need to bring in another striker? I I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to to allege anything. Ollie, do you want to speculate? <laughs> 
no, I don't. But I, I was I was going to I was going to take um, I was going to question Rory on his uses of, of the racist phrase "Great White Hope," but uh, but no, maybe we've been there already. Um, you, you, you can tell you can tell that Ollie's had the whole week off. Yeah, like, he's in. We're all like kind of just <laughs> sick of talking about this, especially yeah. me. But, but Ollie's just going to continue making like you know little comments on this. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm a serious question about Connor Wickham because yeah, I I saw somebody when when he was at Ipswich with the under twenty ones as somebody who's got you know he he's got size he's got I think very he's got very good feet he seems to have a decent understanding probably not the most physical player even though he is he's a big guy mm-hmm. doesn't strike me as an O'Neill type center forward really at all I, I, I mean somebody was telling me oh but he could be a Chris Sutton type yeah but you know I mean, Chris Sutton played with Henrik Larson and John Hartson and with those guys it's kind of like everybody kind of looked good with those people around him um and it looked to me like sort of Wickham had been kind of shelved a little bit. Well, uh, I think the thing with O'Neill is O'Neill was loyal to, and there's no point sort of raking over this old ground, but O'Neill had a core of 12, 13, 14 players who he played all of the time. And Wickham, he's obviously a manager, and there's plenty like this, who has favourites, and once they're not in, once you're not, once you're not in, you're very much out. And Wickham but never got a look at all. Out to the point that when it came time to, to buying somebody else... You know, when you can ask yourself, what do I do if Fletcher gets injured? It's not, I'll turn to Wickham. It's, I will go and buy this other guy who's, who's a Newcastle fan, you know, Danny Graham. So clearly he didn't see the future with... No, he's Wickham. obviously, yeah, he obviously wasn't sold. In, in terms of Sunderland, I think what, I have a theory on the relegation battle, which is that I don't know if Sunderland or Wigan will win again until May. I think the final spot is between them. I think QPR and Reading are gone now after QPR's heartbreak yesterday at the hands Worst of... Worst moment of, in 45 years of career for Harry The right diminutive genius that is Sean Maloney, um, who is a, who's probably one of the most underrated players in England. But anyway, uh, and I think that what, what, will, what will kind of be decisive is whether Di Canio... They have to look at the... De- they have to, those two teams have to try and win three games. And that there are three games that Di Canio can win and there are three games that Widden can win. And whichever one of them doesn't win those three games will be relegated. Ollie, Ollie, do you find it appropriate the way Rory's speaking about there's three games that Di Canio can win and three games Wigan can win? I mean, wasn't it all about O'Neill when, 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 he, when, when he kept them up? But it's not, it's, not, run? it's not the managers. And I, 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 as a matter of principle, I don't disagree with Ollie because he's my hero but the, it's not the managers who who make it about themselves it's us it's the media who make it about the manager <laughs> I, it is I, it is there's no it's, you, you occasionally get managers who take like Vendor does it really well he takes the pressure onto himself rather than the players Mancini's got this habit well, Mourinho's the ultimate example yeah and Mancini's got this habit of saying oh actually sorry lads I prepared the game wrong I, I forgot to train them this week every time they lose at Everton which is bizarre but generally it is the media who, who cre- as, as Ollie says create this narrative whereby it is Di Canio who will succeed and Di Canio who will fail just as when O'Neill succeeded it was O'Neill's triumph not you know this is all to do with, with Trey Gardner ultimately Ollie, it's the same set of players who got them into this and they're the guys who are going to get them out right um, yeah and, it, and it's and it's pretty much the same set, set of players you know give or take a few that that, that Bruce had and I, I think there's I think what we can see with Sunderland over the past few years is that there is a bit of a sort of decay there and, and when Bruce first came in it you know he, he made a good start and then the malaise set in when O'Neill came in. The same great, great start. Malaise sets in, and um, I, you know, it, it seems to me that there's there is a bit of a, a bit of a rot at Sunderland. I mean, it, it's, it's not a, it's not an inspiring place to to go to as it was, you know, when they were first in the Premier League at the new stadium. 
And um, I, 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 I think there's a possibility that Decanio could re-energise the club in the short term, but I, you know, I, I don't know how good a manager he is to do that in the long term. I, I, I want to I get on to, um, to Fernando Torres because we have to show him love after you know weekly crucifixions for much of the season. Um, I'm sure it's not the match. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ask, although there is sort of a theory that there's some kind of supercomputer in there that sends impulses to different parts of his cortex and gives him balance and awareness and so on. Um, but I thought he played well in, against Ruben Kazan. And when he had that acceleration leading up to the first goal, I, I thought it was, it was like traveling back through time, right? You, I was at the Ruben game like that? and Torres I've got to admit Torres was absolutely fantastic for 75 minutes the first goal was ridiculous and lucky it, it, no 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 it was it was lucky to an extent but the, but the presence of mind to, to stick it like that and slip it under the keeper was, was quite impressive the key moment I think more than that goal was about five minutes later when Fernando Torres did a Rabona yeah. which you do not see Fernando Torres do very often these days you need to explain that I don't so know the, how, how many people how many people in our audience know what a Rabona is all of them okay. a Rabona for those who, who maybe are, are new to football is where you, you are carrying the ball and you twist your back leg back around the standing leg and flick it with, the in, with, with your laces, basically. It's a Rabona. Doodle it. Torres I'm did, well aware what it is. I'm just can you describe it? I can't really. It's hard to describe it. It's like dasping, How do you say in, in Italian? What's the what? word? Rabona. Okay, it's coup du foulard in French for the it's French what? speakers. Coup du foulard. Ah, okay. Um, this Ollie, is Ollie, Ollie listen. Ollie, uh, you're older and wiser than, than Rory. Um, what is the English term for it? For it? Can you educate... Our young it's, uh, the, well, it's, it's basically fancy down foreign nonsense. Gotcha. There you go. <laughs> but that was that was it was kind of it had, that Rabona for me had enormous spiritual significance because not only was it 
it was evidence that Torres still believes in himself to do stuff like that and it was it kind of gave him the confidence to go on and for, for the rest of the game against, against Ruben he looked like a really really difficult striker and that Ruben, Ruben looked really bad yeah. were you there you yeah, were there was, weren't you yeah. you were in a really bad mood I was going to say I was going to say I think Dembaba would have had a hat trick as well against them but, but I don't know whether that was Chelsea make, making them look bad I don't know I'm, I'm still I'm still sceptical I think Ruben those Resurrection again. Yeah, and I think you can't you can't presume that this is kind of Torres's back, blah blah blah. But he 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 did he did play better against Ruben than I have seen seen him play for probably two years. All right. Well, you all you guys all gave me your opinion before about who will make the uh, Champions League, so I don't need to ask you about that. But um, just to clear this up once and for all, Rory, because you read Rafa Benitez's book, um, <laughs> does he get annoyed when people sort of suggest that? This business with the cup competitions is better than the, is more important to him than the top four. Does he really not care? Does he? Because I've heard conflicting things about him. Because I've had somebody who knows him relatively well say that he's kind of like an obsessive who like gets up and like early and reads all the newspapers so he can know who's saying what about him. Um, is that something? Is that the impression you got in reading his book? I don't know if he reads the newspapers or, or if he has servants. Or there is form. someone who reads the papers. But yeah, Rafa's media awareness is relatively high it didn't used to be like that and I suspect it's, it's not a positive sign that it is I think Rafa Benitez I don't quite understand the kind of the, the kind of the intensity of the debate this is fairly simple Rafa thinks they will finish in the top four and can win the Europa League and FA Cup all at the same time should be some, some kind of treble then but he's like, obsessed by, by winning trophies yeah he keeps saying I've won those many trophies in those many years and this and that so surely, you know, if, if you ask him to choose between, you know, he, like he says, he, he won't be there next season. So if you ask him to choose between a trophy and a top four finish, he will go for the trophy. I don't, well, to add to add to his yeah, list. I think that is it. I think first of all, I don't think he he thinks he's choosing between them. I think he thinks he can do it. I think he thinks yeah, that yeah, all no, three are possibilities. If he had to. I don't know because I think he does want the trophies to bolster his CV because he, he yeah. knows that that will help him get a better job in the summer he thinks it will but I think he also knows he's not stupid he knows that if he doesn't finish in the top four with Chelsea the teams who he, want, who, who he wants to get a job with will think well your, your primary objective there was to get in the top four with Chelsea and you failed you so, failed so I think he knows that, that they are kind of comparatively important Bayern Munich uh, became champions of Germany this week. They set a, a whole raft of records along the way. Uh, uh, they won it with six games to spare. Nobody else had ever won the Bundesliga title with uh, more than four games to spare. Um, they won 11 consecutive games. which was another, another record. Uh, they will, you know, barring some kind of act of God, um, set a new record for points because I think they have 75. The previous record was 79. Uh, they will set a new record for victories. They have 24 and the previous record was 25. They're going to set a new record for goals conceded because they've conceded 13 and the record was 24. And obviously they will equal the record for uh, fewest defeats in a season since they've lost one. And presumably they won't lose any more the rest of the way or they may not lose any more the rest of the way. So it's absolutely fantastic. And a lot of people are saying, that, you know, they're the smart bet to, to lift the Champions League. They're on track for treble. They're in the semifinal of uh, the German Cup as well. Um, we could all sit here and celebrate Bayern Munich, but... Ali, I want to start with you because there is another side to this. Um, we're all talking about the, the rise of the Bundesliga and what a great product it is and how fan-friendly it is and, and so on. Flip side is, I kind of get, I kind of wonder if Bayern just aren't too strong and then they don't just have too much of a built-in advantage. Uh, their revenue 
is more than twice that of, of the number two and number three teams who are um, Borussia Dortmund and Schalke combined. Um, they basically do pretty much whatever they want in uh, uh, the transfer market. And not signing Marco Royce last year was, was the exception that kind of made the rule. Um, and with financial fair play coming in, they're going to get just even stronger. 20 consecutive seasons making a profit. Um, we all talk about how great the Bundesliga model is, and in so many ways it is. But is this one of the things that's not so great about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the last decade, and they've actually been up and down um, in terms of their form. And I'm sure that the revenue has been great throughout that period, but but suddenly they look now like they're in a position to to, to rule and dominate for years, despite the fact that Dortmund, in particular, are are, are a very good team. Um, but the, the fact is that Bayern have have the potential and have the ability just to pick off. Um, to pick off those, um, you know, the, the best players from Dortmund and Schalke and, and elsewhere, and I mean, you could say this, you could say similar of, of Manchester United's financial position um, in English football, but the, the difference is that the, the Bayern are in are in good hands. They haven't got um, Glazer type owners who um, who um, restrict them at all and, and, and who compromise their. Their, their financial strength. So it, it's Sorry, Ollie, if I jump in here, you could say it about Manchester United's position in English football, but you'd also be lying and making something up if you said that because Manchester United do not have twice the revenue of Arsenal and Chelsea and, and, and Manchester City, do they? Well, they, they, they have... They have, I think, I think they have sort of double Liverpools. Liverpool have double Everton's, and and you know, obviously these things. But there um, are other big teams in England who have comparable I, wage bills to, to Manchester United. I, I am aware of this, but I'm just saying that you know, Manchester United have the ability to absolutely dominate financially, yet they don't spend all of their money. Whereas Manchester City, Chelsea spend a great proportion of those, and it's and it and it sort of levels out because you've got owners who take money out versus owners who um, put money in and, and, and it, it ends up being right. perhaps more um, more of a level playing field than, than it might otherwise do but Bayern because everything is in Germany in Germany is sort of run the right way and, and it is more of a meritocracy um, Bayern Bayern's sort of self-sustaining um Ability has you know self sustainability. That's the word um, that puts them in a very good position because they haven't got Glazer type owners um, and and others don't have Sheikh Mansour type owners. So it is um, it's perhaps <laughs> in some ways a level playing field, but it creates um, an uneven competition. Yeah, I think that we, should, we should point out on that point just on the back of what Ollie's saying is that. You couldn't have a Sheikh Mansour and Abramovich in, no. uh, in, in or by statute. Um, or, sorry? Or a Glazer. Or indeed a Glazer by statute yeah. because of the so-called 50% plus one rule, which applies to all the Bundesliga clubs except for Bayer Leverkusen and Wolfsburg. And, and I think, I think if, you know, if, if in England, we, you know, Manchester United, say, had this unbridled commercial um, revenue, un if they had all the advantages that they have with their income over other clubs and none of the other clubs had a sort of Sheikh Mansour or a Roman Abramovich or a Jack Walker and if United didn't have um, the Glazers sort of restricting them slightly um, you know, people would think well I, I, you know, I, I think we would be having this type of conversation, but but it would be it would be a conversation based on the fact that United have created a position of, of extreme strength rather than 
being in a false position. I think I think there's a danger of conflating two issues because there is, as you say, Dab, there is a lot that's right about the Bundesliga model, and it's really telling on, like on Twitter or or what have you. If you if you if you praise the Bundesliga, the Premier League sort of spokesmen get really antsy really quickly and they, they don't like they mention it mention the figure 1.6 all the time don't yeah they? and they talk about sort of how the Premier League shares its revenues to, to lower clubs and what have you and I'm, that's, I'm sure that's alright but you can tell in the same way Sir Alex Ferguson only insults people who are a threat to him the Premier League don't get get concerned when you say how great Serie A it's might be in very few nice years. to me in fact because exactly but they get, if the, the Premier League do not like how fashionable the Bundesliga has become but there are two issues here. One is that there is a lot of good in the Bundesliga in terms of fan ownership, in terms of safe standing, in terms of the ticket prices, the stadium quality, all of that. The other thing that the really good thing about the Bundesliga is that the fact that, that 10 years ago they made this conscious decision to bring young players through, supported by the DFB and the league itself, which is now bearing fruit, which is why there's so many good German players, and crucially, why there's so many good German young players spread out over several clubs. But that comes with a caveat, which is the the, the buy-in issue, which quite rightly is... I mean, buy-in, as you say, have got this huge inbuilt financial advantage. The Bundesliga model is one that could be copied elsewhere. The buy-in model is not an example for other clubs to follow because only buy-in can do that. In the same way, as Ar- it's all very well Arsenal saying, oh, well, we're self-sustainable, look at how great we are. <laughs> but the, put on the, the very effete... That's accent my, that's when you my, talk about Arsenal. That's my Islington. Our Arsenal camp. It's that's my Islington accent. You should have a word, it's man. It's a It's northern New Yorkshire and thinking Arsenal are just a exactly. bunch of soft like. Well, they are. They're from the south. Anyway, Arsenal can only do what they do because they are in a place where they can right. charge that much money. I, I, I take your point. And Bayern, Bayern, the Bundesliga is a model that could be copied to some extent or learnt from, certainly, but Bayern is, Bayern is a separate case. You have to separate that. Julian, this is what makes me uneasy about this. And, and I'm not uneasy. I mean, whatever they like, and I think what, what, what so much what they do is great. But now, if, if I were a, a German, like, sort of Bayern guy, I'd be like, Do oh, a voice. I won't, because I, I'm, I'm more serious than that. But I would point out that, oh, but Bayern have only won the title five times the last ten years, and look at all these other clubs. Stuttgart won it, Werder Bremen won it, Wolfsburg won it, uh, Borussia Dortmund won it, of course. <laughs> um, but... Here's the flip side. Now, Borussia Dortmund, the, you know, the jury's out. They won it two years in a row, fantastic team, so on. All these other clubs won it. They couldn't build on their success. Werder Bremen won it. Um, and then, you know, after a couple, a couple years after that, they sort of struggled to, 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 to get into the Champions League. Um, Stuttgart, you know, they flirted with relegation. Uh, Wolfsburg also went down the tubes. Uh, mm. You know, and only now they're coming back. So you kind of have this, like, nobody can consistently compete. We'll see if Borussia Dortmund can do it. But I'm starting to wonder is maybe Borussia Dortmund are like the statistical freaks and the outliers because of this incre- incredible thing that Klopp and Zork uh, have, have put together. Um, but that it's a model that's kind of like everything flows towards buying and it's only going to increase with financial fair play. I, comple- I completely agree with you. I think, I think it's unfair to actually other German clubs. If I was German and not a Bayern fan, I would be so I would hate them so much because like you said yes it's only five out of the, the last ten years but but apart from Borussia when you've got a genius manager and a sports director who's brilliant at finding players like Gundogan in the second division for example but apart from that it takes that to compete with them twice in a row otherwise you might win once because you'll be lucky and then you know just just crumble right, again and the, the, the and annoying thing is I mean you look at this and they go and they sign the best players from the opposition internally, exactly. which doesn't happen so much 
you know, in other countries, uh, certainly not in England. I mean, you don't have Manchester United going and picking off players from, from Chelsea and Manchester City, which has a twofold effect, right? Because it strengthens you, them and it weakens the opposition in the same go. You know, it's a good point because when Lyon in France, I know France is, is far from the Bundesliga, but let me talk. When, when Lyon won seven years in a row the, the French League, every summer they were buying the best player from, from Lille, f- even from other big clubs like, you know, PSG and Marseille, and they were killing the league because, of, because they were so strong financially and so dominant and, and everybody wanted to play there because that's where you reached the semi-final of the Champions League because you were winning the league and the cup and everything and it just killed for, for seven years they just, just killed the league and everybody hated them for it and, and I think the risk with Bayern Munich is, is exactly the same if it's not already there But there's, and I agree completely with what Julian said and I think that's, that is the danger with Bayern as you say with a model where, where they seem to, where they have got this inbuilt advantage that no one can compete with in the same way as I mean the, the irony is that FFP has been introduced to reduce inbuilt advantages that no one can compete with but it, what it effectively does is say that certain inbuilt advantages are fine which is completely and utterly morally vapid but anyway that's the Martin Samuel argument and I think there's and a lot of merit to it I think that the issue with with this kind of with who can compete is that is it not better almost to have a model where there's one big club and if they mess up then there's lots of clubs at the level below who could step in so Verde Bremen is quite a good example to- Verde Bremen have had Thomas Schaaf in charge for what 12 years something years or even more than that. yeah he's been there it looks like a walrus been there forever and Verda have, have basically had he had one great side at Verda that won the title and then it kind of fell apart and now Verda kind of fell apart because people started buying his yeah, players but Verda are basically but they've had that success and now they're basically a mid-table side Verda and that's that, I'm sure that's frustrating for them but at least they've had that success is that not better than a model where you have four or yeah, five it, clubs who are always going to be at the top I mean I think that's that's a fair argument um, buying the 20 points clear in, in Germany United are what 15 points clear in England probably well, 18 be 12 after tonight but yeah or 12 12, 15 or 18 points clear in England PSG are what 7 clear in France Seven, yeah. uh, Juve are 9 clear in Italy Barca are 13 clear in Spain Bayern this season aren't exceptional in having a massive lead at the top of a league all right, now time for some quick hits. Rory was a classic relegation six-pointer at Loftus Road as Wigan notch a last-second equaliser, which Harry Redknapp calls the worst moment of his 45-year career. Um, but who is more deserving of our scorn? Bobby Zamora for booting Jordi Gomez in the head. And by the way, um, Danny Mills, who I spoke to yesterday, said, oh, well, you know what? I'm not sure that that was a red. Um, or... Is it Adel Terrapt for not being a man in the wall and shrinking like a little violet in a microwave? For those of you who don't know Julian Laurence, Julian is perhaps the most macho, sort of intimidating, shaven-headed sort of person that, that you could possibly wish to meet. And he's nodding in disgust at Adel Terrapt's cowardice. But you know what? That is the most brainless, irresponsible appalling sending off I have ever seen from Zamora and that, the, that he had the gall to protest it is, is offensive to my human sensibilities so, but if QPR that, was, that could well be the point QPR would, would have won that game with 11 men if, that's what, if they go down by two points then it is Bobby Zamora's fault you, you hear that, Bobby? All your fault. Ollie, uh, we sort of take it for granted that Wigan will sort themselves out and avoid relegation because they always seem to do so. Um, but have you seen enough to suggest that things will really pan out that way? Um, I, I was slightly disappointed by them in the second half yesterday against 10 men. I think Martinez was even more disappointed by them. Um, 
I, I know people have this sort of um, perception of them as, as being the greatest apologists, but look, looking at their remaining games, Man City away, West Ham away, Spurs home, West Brom away, Swansea home, uh, Arsenal away, Villa home, it's not the easiest run. Um, I could see them winning two, maybe. It's West just a question whether that... It's just a question. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that, um, that spring to mind. And, and, and you know, will that be enough? I mean, it just depends how, how others... Improve and you know, will Sunderland improve? Will Will Stoke start winning? Um, I think Wigan might just about stay up. Arsenal win at West Brom and actually appear to have some momentum. Uh, Julian, should they be worried about those jittery final minutes after Mertesacker's silly red in penalty? Or should they be pleased at the rediscovery of that mystery man we call Thomas Rosicki? No worries, no, because uh, at 10 against 11 away at West Brom, who's a very good team, I think it's normal to, to you know to, to suffer a bit and to struggle. But I think it's very good that Thomas Rosicki you know, is, is back at his best because it's, it's April and he's always good when spring arrives and especially when he has to negotiate a new contract, which is not the case this year but so it's a good asset for a strong end of the season uh, Aston Villa win at Stoke 3-1 Matt Lawton scores a peach of a goal and all of a sudden we can again call him Paul Lambert Rory would you rather celebrate Villa or worry about Stoke because you're such a big fan of theirs uh, I, I saw Stoke at Duddison Park last week and it occurred to me that, that Stoke have got a problem they've got a real problem I think teams have actually worked them out they look like they've lost a little bit of their vim and vigour um, they have. I think they've won one in thirteen now. Some momentum's against them. Got thirty-four points. It's. They've got a lot of games against teams in the bottom six. If Stoke don't realise quite as much that they're in trouble as the others, then I, I think there's a chance Stoke go down this season. So I, I, w- I will worry about them, but not worry that much. Just I wouldn't miss them. West Ham hold Liverpool to a point at Anfield. Ollie folks are still patient with Rodgers, but do you fear that another sort of seventh place finish might push Luis Suarez towards the door, given uh, who his agent is? Mm, you're presumably referring to the Bayern Munich possibility, given that his his agent is the new or newcomer. or anybody who will go and give mm. him a lot of money and give Liverpool a lot of money. Yeah, well, I, I, I think uh, you know I, I don't think seventh is is particularly the issue. I don't think you know if they finish fifth and just missed out on Champions League, I, I don't think that would necessarily feel any more appealing to Suarez I, I, all the noises coming out are that he wants to stay and, and but that he wants to see their ambition but I, I've, I've got to say if, if he gets offered a great move and his agent gets offered a great move I, I could see him going for it and it, you know it wouldn't really be a surprise he's been there um, two and a half years Liverpool have been you know, they are improving but, but they are miles off being able to compete for the league they're not going to be in the Champions League next season they might you know might just scrape in for, for, for the following season but I don't get the impression there's going to be an enormous amount of money invested at, at Liverpool and, and I, I think fears about Suarez are, are very legitimate and I, I think whereas this time last season people might be, might have been thinking good riddance to Suarez I'm, I'm talking about people outside of Liverpool um, I think this season has been so fantastic that um fans of Premier League football should want him to stay. For a minute there, we were worried that Newcastle would get sucked into the relegation battle, but Papi says injury time winner against Fulham put that one to bed. Julian, uh, was jumping into the crowd like that really warranted for Alan Pardew? Well, we all Did know, you like that? We all know that uh, Alan Depardieu uh, fences himself as a bit of a showman, so I think uh, it was no surprising that he celebrated like that. However, the guy who nicked his keys in his pockets while celebrating the goal with him I thought that was just that must have been brilliant and he's definitely one of the best moves of the game here's my one for you Dab uh, 
Manuel Pellegrini, mm-hmm. where does he stand in the pantheon of great European managers at the moment? I think he's done a fantastic job in very difficult circumstances. Again, um, this past weekend, uh, before the uh, their game against Real Sociedad, um, his, his father passed away. He he flew out. Um, he's going to try to be back in time for the Champions League game. I think more to the point, he's worked in incredibly difficult circumstances at Malaga. I think he's done a fantastic job in his one season at Real Madrid, despite not having uh, Cristiano uh, for two months out of the season. He actually won more points than, um, than many people's uh, deity, Jose Mourinho. I think he deserves more respect than he's had, and I, and I hope he gets a, a shot at the big time next. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. It's been real. It's been long, Skinner might say. Thank you to my guests, Julian Lawrence, the very talented Rory K. Smith, and from his parents' home on Merseyside, it's Ollie K. You can come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts. We're all on there. Or you can email, as so many of you do every single week, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. You can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all your news, our views, our web chats, blogs, plenty of good analysis on there. And uh, also, I mentioned Twitter, but my script says to mention it again. So yes, tweet us. We're all on Twitter. Until next week. Bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.